What's up, everybody? It's your man, Plyrock. And before we get started with today's podcast, just wanted to take this opportunity to remind you to please follow us on Facebook at Ply and the Moldog. That's P-L-Y-A-N-D-T-H-E-D-A-W-G, Ply and the Moldog. You can also find our live video game show most nights of the week at Plyrock Gamer on Facebook. And you can find us on Twitter and Instagram at Plyrock Gamer, P-L-Y-R-O-C-K-G-A-M-E-R. We appreciate all the support. We'd love it if you dropped us some feedback, a subscribe on Spotify, iTunes, or Google Play. It really helps out the show. Thank you so much and enjoy. Meeting at the intersection of entertainment and knowledge, of greatness and destiny, comes the greatest sports video game movie podcast on today. Please welcome in your hosts, Plyrock and Mitch the Moldaw. What's up, everybody? It's your man, Plyrock, and welcome to episode four of Ply and the Moldog. We're so excited to be here on Sunday morning. It's a beautiful, balmy 38 degrees here in New England, and we're ready to talk XFL football. Day one went down yesterday. What's going on, Moldog? Welcome in. How are you? Good morning. XFL review day one. Uh, product looked pretty good. Excited to get into it. But at first blush, product was pretty clean. Yeah, it was uh, It was really tickling my heart to see that the first, within the first 10 minutes, I knew that this was already better than the first iteration of the XFL. The quality of football was better. The camera crew, to me, seemed better. Uh, there was It was less gimmicky, more about the football. The crowd size was pretty good. I think it was about 18,000 people there in D.C., which was, uh, I think, half capacity, three-quarter capacity of the stadium they were playing in. Um, the players looked ready to play. They looked fit. They looked like they had been coached very well over the past three or four months that they had been practicing with their teams. So let's get right into the first game, which was the D.C. Defenders versus the Seattle Dragons. And it was pretty dang good man i mean the quarterback for the I, I i believe it or not i didn't really know much about these rosters going into it but uh, uh jones the uh, quarterback for the uh dc defenders was pretty good i guess he played for ohio state uh, might have won a championship with them yeah cardell jones is not chopped liver he he played at ohio state he played quarterback at Ohio State, and then he lost his job one year, and they were talking about kick, making him a wide receiver. They were even talking about projecting him as a potential wide receiver in the NFL at the time. Yeah. That he, didn't happen, but he, he looked really, really good. And, and the good note here is you had such good quarterback play on day one and quarterbacks being the face of the league and, and who – the fans really jump behind and can really identify with that's a good sign when your quarterback play on both team on the Houston team and on the DC team was uh, so good yesterday yeah and and the other thing I noticed too was it wasn't just the quarterbacks although they and we'll get to the roughneck game we'll get to Muldog's favorite XFL team he's been a diehard fan since day one of the XFL of the Houston roughnecks but the even the kickers 
I mean, one guy for the guy, the, the kicker for the DC team, he had a 55 yard field goal. I mean, right down the chute, man, with probably about 10 yards to spare. And, uh, I was impressed. I was like, okay. So these guys really did come to play. Um, the XFL does feel uh, innovative and different enough to differentiate itself from NFL football. Um, however, it does feel enough like football, so you're watching football. So I think they were really smart. The only thing I'm not used to yet is the kickoffs. I don't know if you saw how they do the kickoffs. Right. But the uh, I like the fact that the uh, the extra point after the point after touchdown is gone. I do like the you have to score from the one. Uh, the one yard, the two yard line, the five yard line, or the ten yard line, for one point, two points, or three points. Um, I thought that made the game actually more interesting. That you actually had to score the two touchdowns, quote unquote, to get the extra point. You had to score the second time into the uh, end zone. But the guys looked amazing. the The score of the first game, the game was close, pretty much until the end. Um, it was, it was tied going into the halftime. Um, they were back and forth, uh, but the final score DC ended up taking the, uh, first game, um, 31 to 19, I believe. Yes. I want to say 31 to 19 was the final on the first one. Um, so towards the end, DC started to show itself to be, much more uh, prepared than Seattle, which you had said, I think the other day that Seattle was kind of the one team where everybody thought wasn't going to do, was going to be the worst team in the league. Although they didn't look bad. Well, that's who Vegas had as the, as the lowest win total for the season. Their prediction was Seattle and uh, Tampa Bay. They predicted to have the highest win total for the season, but that DC game, you had the blocked punt, you had that flea flicker play or double flea flicker play. Uh, it was pretty exciting, pretty exciting stuff. And like I said, it looked it looked fairly clean. It did not look to be some terrible version of some tricked up NFL. That's a good sign. Yeah, and the uh, <clears throat> the other thing too, and I don't know if this is Vince McMahon pulling out some wrestling tricks or not. But the crowd sounded like insane. Like they sounded like they had been insane fans for like decades. The crowd that showed up to cheer on the defenders literally was there to cheer the defenders. This was not a curiosity crowd. They were going nuts. And that really led to a a very good feeling. And I don't know if Vince had extra mics in the crowd or what. They had mics everywhere, by the way. The head coach was mic'd up. Uh, the players were mic'd up. They filmed the halftime speeches in the locker room. Halftime is only 10 minutes, by the way, in the XFL. So they go in, they get a drink of water, they eat some fruit snacks and get some apple juice. The coach yells at them and they go right back out onto the field. So, it was a different experience. I don't know if it was necessarily that much faster than an NFL game. It's still the first game clocked in at over three hours. Maybe that was because they're still getting used to some things. Maybe it'll speed up a little bit more as the TV crews and the referees and the coaches and everybody kind of all get on the same page. 
The referees are mic'd up, by the way. So when they're talking about and discussing how they're going to review a play, uh, you can hear them as well. That is so incredibly illuminating. That, I think, was my favorite thing about the whole mic'd up situation was actually being able to hear them walk through kind of the review and what they're looking at and this, that, and the other. I think the fans are going to love that. It, the Also, the uh, there's a, one particular referee who is designated completely to spotting the ball. Yes. That's all he does. He or she does. That's all he does. He just watches the ball. <laughs> so I think that helps a lot too. It's pretty it was pretty funny. At first I'm like, why is there why does the audio keep cutting out? Like there was a few times the audio when I was watching the broadcast would cut out for a few seconds. And then I realized everybody on the field pretty much. It's I think it's the quarterback, maybe one other person. The quarterbacks are mic'd up. The coaches are mic'd up. There's sideline reporters like burning calories running all over the place. We'll get to that in a second on the sidelines. They might kept cutting out, like the audio feed kept cutting out. And I'm like, why does this keep cutting out? And, well, apparently I didn't realize everybody was mic'd up hot. And obviously every time there was F-bombs being dropped by the players or the coaches or whatever, they had to keep hitting the uh, the mute button there oh, while they were trying to beep the swears. <laughs> One guy who had a bad play or was part of a bad play for the, uh, I want to say the Seattle Dragons, he came running over to the sideline. I think his teammate got whacked for a 15-yarder for uh, unnecessary roughness, and the reporter came right over to him, and she's like, what happened there? And he was—you could tell—he was agitated by the by the uh, penalty, and he dropped the f bomb live on ABC. So that was cool, but they couldn't catch that in time. So I think they're going to have some executive meetings here after the uh, either a they're going to yell at all the players and tell them to watch their mouths. Although I assume that's going to be pretty tough playing, you know, smash mouth football, having to completely watch your mouth. Or b they're going to have to figure out a way to mic up the right people and not maybe people with potty mouths so or interview people with potty mouths so we'll see what happens there but it's very cool as soon as you score a touchdown as soon as you make an interception as soon as you kick a 55 yard field goal as soon as you come over to the sideline and you're still breathing heavy like ply going up and down the stairs four times doing laundry as soon as that happens uh, there's an interviewer right there to ask you what you were, how you're feeling, or, or what you were thinking during that play when you scored that touchdown or kicked that field goal. So that's pretty cool too, man. It sounds, you know, like you said, uh, the issue of having hot mics all over the place when you're talking about players and you're talking about coaches. Now, there's obviously going to have to be a little bit of a feeling in period there because that kind of sounds like a recipe uh, for disaster in terms of it getting a little. Uh, profanity laced or, or what have you. However, you can tell the kind of overriding theme here is more fan engagement. Give give the fan more, give the fan more, let them let him behind the curtain a little bit. Um, now there's my my guess is there's gonna be some times where you kind of want to actually not peel that curtain back as far as they're going to, but that's, that's a learning process. And that will be, that will be a feeling out period, you know, like any type of new enterprise like that. So for week one, so far, the first two games, yeah, very interesting stuff. People seem interested and 
I was discussing with you off air where you were mentioning the ticket prices of the XFL. Yeah, $23 for the first game. Right. So that's going to get you It's actually family affordable, not like the NFL where you got to you got to sign a mortgage waiver to get into the damn game sometimes. Well, well that, $23 ain't, ain't, ain't terrible, you know what I mean? Right. That's what I was thinking of when you said the crowd seemed very good or the crowd seemed big. You know, you have opened this opportunity up to a uh, potential fan base that does not necessarily you know, have the have the money to spend full boat on an NFL experience. So that may really help your crowds and that may really help the the kind of rowdiness or the engagement of the crowds as you have uh, maybe less of a corporate feel or or less of just kind of a uh, a big money aristocratic feel in the stadium with the fan base. Yeah, it was it was pretty impressive too, especially during the first game. And we'll get to the second game here in a second. But it was very impressive to see, even in the even in the eighteen thousand plus who were there for the first game, a lot of them were wearing DC Defender gear already, and I was like, "Whoa!" The crowd was pretty red. I mean, their colors are red and white, and they had a lot of DC stuff. And then after I was reading, there was lines out the door at the stadium before the you know hours before the game started. People were already buying jerseys, already buying hats, so. I mean, I've been to a few NFL games in my life, only a couple, one in Buffalo, one in New England, and it's the price of a small vacation, dude, like to get in with the game, the gas or the travel to, uh, you know, if you stay at a hotel, if you're, if you're, uh, you're going to hang out in the morning and eat steaks and, and drink booze all day before you get there, whatever it is, getting into an NFL game is, is something that most people can't really make that decision on the fly. Like, Hey, you know, the games tonight over there at the, uh, you know, the defenders are playing. It's 20 bucks. You want to go see the game tonight? Sure. Let's jump in and go see it. But the NFL, it's like, Hey, you want, I got extra tickets. They're only $500 each. Do you want to uh, go see the game tomorrow? No, man, I got to pay the electric bill tomorrow. So it's just a different feel. Obviously salaries are different. So I get it. You know, and if the XFL takes off, it's not going to stay at 23 bucks. But uh, game one was exciting. Crowd was good. TV presentation was good. You could tell ESPN worked very closely with the XFL to put on the best product they could right off the jump. Uh, and then let's, you know, after uh, after Jones looked so impressive there in game one. And by the way, on the other side, uh, this the Dragons don't have anything to be ashamed of either. Uh, a prole was impressive. And I didn't realize up until halfway through the game, I'm like, that's Ricky Prohl's kid. Ricky Prohl being uh, one of Kurt Warner's favorite targets, the greatest show on turf. He was one of his wide receivers there with Isaac Bruce. Uh, Ricky Prohl was on the other side, I believe. Yeah, Ricky, and his Prohl, kid, yeah, Ricky yeah. Prohl was the possession. He was the possession Julian Edelman type guy uh, in the in the middle of those two speed burners that the greatest show on turf had with Isaac Bruce and Tory Holt, and yes. was kind of the possession guy, but you know one of those one of those possession guys never drops anything. Not the fastest guy, but runs pure routes. And so my guess is his kid is fairly well schooled, and you know coming up through the system like that, he's probably got a very high football high IQ and probably runs good routes, and he'll probably be a nice player. Yeah. And so he was uh, he was awesome. Uh, Silvers didn't look terrible. 
Uh, he's the quarterback for the uh, Dragons. He went uh, 21 of 40. He had 217 yards, three touchdown passes, two picks, though. And Jones on the other side, 291 yards passing, two touchdowns. So everybody looked good in the first game, man. I mean, team's got stuff to work on, but uh, good stuff out of them. And then if we go to uh, Moldog's favorite team, the Houston Roughnecks, who he has been just so high on since the since the day the Roughnecks were created, that was a little bit of a blowout. 37-17, wasn't really close after halftime. And, and I guess, uh, Moldog, tell us, uh, P.J. Walker, the quarterback for the Roughnecks, 23-39, 272 yards, four touchdowns, one pick, was not going to be the starting quarterback up until pretty close to game time, I believe. My man, P.J. Walker. Yeah, uh, he was, uh, he was uh, the other gentleman on the team whose name escapes me at the moment was going to be the starting quarterback and PJ ended up taking the job, but boy, that was a gamble that paid off because he was lighting it up all over the field too. Although I think Jones was a little bit more impressive. Although the, I mean the, the news cycle was talking about Walker. I think Jones has a bigger upside. He looked like he was, you know, he was going to be kind of the face, but the roughnecks just dominating the wildcats. Los Angeles being the only team that has actually won an XFL championship. That's <laughs> but, right. Uh, That's right, Tommy Maddox. <clears throat> yes, I don't think they were called the Wildcats back in the day. I think it was Los Angeles Galaxy, if I remember correctly, the initial team. There you go. But uh, good game there, too. Lots of unbelievable uh, highlights that you can check out on Yahoo or Sports or ESPN.com. Uh, maybe we'll even clip some and post a few sometimes on Ply and the Muldocks Facebook page. Um, and then today we've got two more games. If you're listening to this on Sunday, today's games are going to be on Fox and ESPN, respectively. Two o'clock Tampa Bay Vipers at New York Guardians. And then at five o'clock, you've got the St. Louis Battlehawks versus the Dallas Renegades. So we'll have more on those games and Fox's presentation of the XFL when we're able to view those. Um, so, yeah, day one of the XFL was uh, was a success. Yeah. Well, two quick things about that preview you just mentioned that tie into uh, what we were talking about last time was, first of all, is Tampa Bay any good? Because apparently Vegas thinks they're the best. But second, th- yeah, th- yeah. Yep, yep. Second, and most importantly, Ply, because this needs to be, you know, we need to get this out of the way. What is a Battlehawk? Are we going to find out what a Battlehawk is? I don't know what the hell a Battlehawk is. It sounds like something from video games, and I play video games every day, and I still don't know what a Battlehawk is. Well, hopefully so, that will be rectified today. All right. So moving on from the XFL day one, we got to talk about it, dude, especially because we got a lot of pioneers, especially shout out to Kyle Bananas. We got a lot of pioneers who love college basketball. Duke versus UNC. Wild game yesterday. Unbelievable. Uh, Final being 98-96 Duke. Duke wasn't doing so hot, though. The first three, uh, the first, I want to say three quarters, like it's the NBA. (laughs) The first half of this game was all North Carolina. Second half of this game was still pretty much all North Carolina, then towards the end. 
and Duke just turned it on right at the end. And then in OT, uh, North Carolina kind of missed all their free throws like Shaq was playing every position. <laughs> and then they finally, the Duke Duke was able to overtake them. But North Carolina, not really a good team this year, sitting at 10 and 13, Duke 20 and 3. And uh, North Carolina to give Duke a run for their money. Did you check this out or see anything about this game yesterday? Yes, and uh, it a little bit of the bloom was off the rose uh, going into this game because of North Carolina's uh, very difficult season, you know, being under 500 coming into this game. But you have to throw all that out when you're talking about these teams. But North Carolina has had an incredibly rocky season. I mean, Roy Williams is is yelling at his players in the papers. He's crying in press conferences. It, I mean, it looks like he's having a nervous breakdown three times a game. It's terrible. They are really, really struggling. And for them to have a 13-point lead in the second half and the game go into overtime on a, a missed, auto, you know, intentional miss of the free throw to get the rebound and hit the shot, which never works, but worked here. And then even more of a gut punch, a five-point lead with something like 22 seconds left in overtime and they blew that this this is it is not a happy day in chapel hill and this one's ugly this is more of a north carolina loss than a duke win but you can't take anything away uh from the blue devils who again interest of full disclosure not my favorite program out there but got to be fair yeah they i my thought my initial thought of it was shouldn't duke be running over unc so there must have been some really inspired gameplay on the court that just couldn't last the full two halves because uh, a Duke being a ranked team, so much better of a record. This is not Dean Smith's UNC right now. There's not really a Michael Jordan on the court. So, but uh, exciting. I mean, that's what college basketball is all about. Even regular season college basketball, like one of my big faults with the NBA for myself sometimes is regular season NBA sometimes can seem like there's really no defense a lot of the times. They just kind of run back and forth and score. Sometimes it seems like maybe they're not trying as hard as they could in regular season NBA because postseason NBA is so different than regular season NBA. This is true. Once, Once they hit the playoffs, these guys are just absolute monsters on the court. But regular season NBA sometimes to me can seem like they're just going through the motions. And I never get that feeling with collegiate sports, even though I don't watch a ton of collegiate sports. It feels like every time I'm watching a collegiate game, especially basketball, that they're leaving it on the court every time these kids go out there. I mean, I could be wrong, but that's my hot take on that, you know? No, that's accurate. I mean, again, you know, who, who has, who has the power in the NBA, the players have the power, not the coaches. So when they need to manage their minutes, that's true. you know, when they need to manage their minutes or, you know, kind of half-ass it through, or they want to take a game off or the season's too long and all this, you know, belly aching, that's, that's how it goes. You can't pull that off as a college kid. You pull that off as a college kid, you know, you're gone. You're, you're off the team, your scholarships yanked and, and you're, you're no longer part of the program. So the coaches have a little more authority in college. And that's why some of these college coaches would never, ever, ever go to the NBA because they are kings in the towns and on those campuses where they are. And if they went to the NBA, it, it would be a totally emasculating experience to them. And 
That's why they love being in college. But this NCAA tournament, which is going to most likely, unless something really crazy happens in the ACC tournament, is going to be an NCAA tournament without the University of North Carolina. That's not something that gets said much. Yeah. And, you know, you, we haven't really had a solid men's UConn team in a while here up in New England. Easy, easy, easy. Well, we haven't. So just going to be honest. And, you know, one of the things about Connecticut is Connecticut doesn't have any professional sports teams, nor does it actually deserve one. But um, so UConn is kind of the professional sports team of New England, of the Connecticut area for Connecticuters. Yeah, that's what they call Connecticut people. So, you know, UConn, the UConn ladies have always been dominant and good, although this year they've kind of been up and down. But the UConn men haven't really been uh, dominating since, I want to say, Kevin Ollie's first year, second year as the head coach. And after that, it's kind of been all downhill. They got suspended, I think, from the NCAA tournament for a few seasons for some violations, I believe. Um, and then since then, they haven't recovered. So they've kind of been a meddling team for a while now. Uh, although Mitch Muldog's probably going to yell at me for saying that, but I don't care. No, not so, yell at you. You you threw you you threw a lot of uh, stuff into that chowder there, so it's not easy to unpack it all in in our. Yeah, well, I like I, I like packing my chowder. That <laughs> keeps you from unstuffing it. So yes, you pack that chowder up. But no, UConn UConn has not. Uh, UConn men's basketball, excuse me, women's basketball has been dominant, as you pointed to. Uh, UConn men's basketball. Kevin Alley's first season, they won the national championship. That was a national championship game against Kentucky. They weren't supposed to win. They weren't like a real dominant high seed going into that tournament, uh, but they did, but they won. And it's been very difficult since they can't seem to land the big recruits. Uh, recruiting is down. You know, there's there's been a, a couple of issues with uh, some different violations that was too many text messages during a recruiting period, some of that stuff. And it, it hasn't been, uh, you know, big death penalty type stuff or anything, but it is a, a bit of a stain on the program at times. Well, plus, plus, correct me if I'm wrong, UConn and Kevin Ali were in the middle of some type of litigation. Uh, UConn, uh, according to Kevin Ali, um, fired him unjustly from the program owed him money in his contract or something. No. And that's been settled. He, he sued. He, Ollie was really kind of baseless. His accusations were baseless. Uh, they basically fired Kevin Ollie for poor performance on the court and some poor performance off it. And he really didn't have a leg to stand on. He kind of fired off the obligatory countersuit just to kind of see if there was a little more meat on that bone, but, but there wasn't that that has since been settled. That is okay. Uh, that no, makes sense. Yeah, no longer an issue. But they need to get some recruits. They got a good coach in there now, uh, Danny Hurley, Seton Hall guy, the brother of Bobby Hurley, who played at Duke. Good coach, going the right direction. The fact of the matter is, though, you got to get the players. If you don't get players, you can't win. I don't care how good your coaching staff is or how rabid your fan base is. You got to land some blue chippers, and it hasn't been happening. Well, I mean, ever since. Uh... Ever since, uh, what's his name, the Hall of Fame coach who won the two championships for UConn, uh, Calhoun. Jim Calhoun. Ever since Calhoun left, I mean, Calhoun was kind of the big draw. You go play for Jim Calhoun, you'd be kind of like playing for a 
for a Bobby Knight or playing for a uh, Dean Smith. Um, they haven't, I mean, you, you don't go to UConn to go to UConn. I mean, the football team hasn't been good since it's really started. Oh, they have. Yeah. So yeah. as Horrible. much as you want to bring back coaches who were there years ago when they have a 500 record, as much as you want to make the taxpayers pay for a, a useless stadium near the Capitol, uh, big stadium for the, you know, cause they had such high hopes for UConn football. UConn football hasn't really taken off to the degree that they thought it was going to take off to. They're not a terrible team, but they've always been a meddling 500 team, you know, give or take. Uh, they've never had that um, um, immaculate season that would push them into the upper tiers of college football. So as a college, as a kid coming into college, and UConn's a great, great university. So people go there to get, you know, degrees and go there for the, the college experience of living in the dorm and all the things that come with, uh, you know, starting to your independence. But if I'm a kid coming out of high school and I'm a collegiate athlete, I'm going to the University of Miami or I'm going to I'm going to Florida or I'm going to Texas. I'm going somewhere where the palm trees are. I'm going somewhere where the weather's better. The winters in New England suck. So unless you're going for a real degree or you've got a great scholarship coming to you on a team that has a chance to go somewhere uh, to help you along and maybe getting into a professional sport, why are you going? Why are you going to go to UConn, man? I don't, I don't know. I'm not coming to Connecticut if I'm a high school kid. I mean, because I live here, so I got obviously I'm used to it. But I'm going somewhere where the partying's good and the weather's warm and and the you know what I mean. You know what I'm trying to say? Like absolutely. I'm not absolutely, absolutely. You hit on something really good here. You got let, let's just uh, unpack it a little bit. Like uh, okay, football is a football is a different animal. It, it's going to take a long time to get good. The program is so far down. They had some, you know, halfway decent years where people got excited and the stadium was filled. That is in the rearview mirror. They've been off for the last few years. Attendance is down. I get 24 calls a day from my representative at UConn. Yeah, free tickets, free at, tickets, yeah, free tickets. 24 calls a day, and uh, it just it doesn't happen. But basketball now, you only need about three kids. You need, you know, you get three high you know, profile uh, recruits to come in and you can turn basketball around in no time, but you are right on the, you know, if you're looking at Arizona state or Miami or, you know, Texas or any of these warm weather places, it does, it does factor in. I have heard recruits tell me straight up uh, kid five, five tool football player coming out of Florida telling me, I didn't care how many times Ohio State, Michigan, and Notre Dame came down to recruit me. I wasn't leave the I wasn't leaving the state of Florida. I told them to stop coming. They kept coming. They showed up at my high school. They showed up at my house. He goes, I wasn't leaving the warm weather. That's a legitimate thing. Uh, yeah, I mean, if you you have to have the reputation as the sports team to draw men with bad weather or whatever. So. Michigan can do that because Michigan has the reputation or Ohio state can do that because Ohio state has the reputation. Um, you can, when they don't have the reputation or the coach to go along with it, I'm not going there, man. Sorry. I'm just not, I mean, you know, I'm, not, I'm going, like I said, my first choice would probably be the Miami hurricanes. Even if their team stunk, <laughs> that's where I'd be going. Miami, or the Gators, 
or somewhere down there. I'm not going to UConn unless Jim Calhoun is there, ready to coach me to have a shot at a national title. The team is going to be excellent, and I have a shot at the NBA, or I have a shot at you know some type of post-basketball career that revolves around the fact that I'm a great player. If that ain't happening, and the coaches, you know, Danny Bonaducci, uh, and the team's, you know, 500 in a, in a conference that doesn't even exist anymore. The Big East is gone or back or I don't know. They change it every two two years now at this point. I'm not going there, man. I'm wearing shorts all year. I'm not I putting on a winter jacket. I'm not, I'm not walking through a blizzard to get to my next class. You know, I'm just not. That's cool. Cool story, bro. <laughs> you know, so. But hats off to Duke and UNC for putting on a show last night. Uh, great game. Um, bananas is going to be happy that Duke Duke won that one because he hates UNC as a true Duke fan does. And UNC hates Duke as a true UNC fan does. I guess that's the big rivalry in college basketball. Am I correct? That's the, that's the big, uh, geographical rivalry. They're separated by about 30 miles or something I like, and they've been two of the blue blood programs, highly successful, but most big UConn fans also really despise Duke. So it's interesting. Uh, that, really? Yeah. Oh, yeah. We, is that, is why, that because that, is that because when the men were pulling down those two championships, didn't they beat Duke for one of them? Well, Duke. First of all, we shorted Jim Calhoun a championship. He's got three. But anyway, the first. Okay, so it was three. Yeah, no problem. Yeah. Okay. The, the first one, 1999, they did beat Duke, the Elton Brand Duke team, and UConn. That was their first national championship. But most of the genesis of it goes back to 1990 with Christian Leitner, where... Oh, Christian Leitner. Yeah. Where he, he, <laughs> That's Banana's favorite player. Okay, I've heard this. This is this is the guy who was a who was a, kind of a jerk. Yes, yes. Although the, ES, although the ESPN 30 for 30 does a pretty good job with him, and he seems like a little less of a jerk and just a crazy competitor who loses his head at times. So and he was a great okay. – he was a, one of the greatest college – basketball players of all time though wasn't he absolutely still holds a ton of college records in terms of a true college basketball player and what they accomplished in college I mean he's up there with anybody he's up there with with Bill Walton or any of the greatest college careers you've ever seen what and, happened to his, his NBA career did it stalled out right yeah, he was a very marginal player he played on some bad teams I I tend to remember him when he was on the Atlanta Hawks and they were just awful. Uh, his game, you know, his his game at the time, it'd be a little different now, but at the time his game didn't necessarily translate. He was he was big in terms of tall, but he wasn't overly beefy. So he wasn't really kind of a big man, but yet he was a little too big to be outside kind of as a swing man. He, he was kind of a man without a, a position in the NBA. And he just, you know, he kind of muddled through for, for a while, and then he was all done. I mean, he wasn't awful, but he never got anywhere near duplicating his collegiate success in the, uh, in the association. Well, one thing Christian Leitner can always have in the back of his, you know, in his, in his cap, so to speak, he is on the roster of NBA Jam for Super Nintendo, so he did make the greatest basketball video game ever made. He's on the roster in there. So from back when I was a kid. So that's how I know Christian Leitner, because I could select him in NBA Jam, and I believe it was for the Hawks. Understood. But I haven't played that game in a while. So 
But uh, so I didn't realize that UConn and Duke had kind of a rivalry, which not anymore because Duke is still a good program and UConn is kind of meddling at the, you know, hopefully UConn can bring it back because um, there's a lot of, there's a, they get a ton of support in Connecticut, UConn. Like it's ridiculous. The only game in town. Yes. I mean, it's either that or the Hartford Wolfpack and the Wolfpack are giving out even more free tickets than UConn football. So they... They are Connecticut's love, Connecticut sports team. They did change their logo years ago, and people here flipped out because it went from this cute husky dog to this weird wolf thing. And we're like, no, we're the Huskies, not the not the wolves or something. So even that was like, those are things I got to hear about living in, living in Connecticut. All right. Well, do you want the real hot take on that? Because Muldog happens to have a little inside information when it comes to UConn athletics. Uh, I cannot reveal my sources, but I'm fairly well connected in some of the inter, inner sanctums of what goes on at the University of Connecticut. The, uh, yeah, I got to hear about this logo because this yeah. logo is worse than the XFL logos for the teams. Go ahead. Okay, you ready? The old logo. What, yep, which you the dog. Called, yeah, which you deemed the friendly husky or however yeah. you put it. Yeah, it was like a cute dog. Okay, first of all, step one was that they thought the animal looked tired. Its tongue, its tongue was hanging out. Um, the dog is tired, and you know who. I'm wants, googling it now, yeah, by the yeah, way. And who wants, so uh, you're not gonna you're not gonna get that on Google. This is this is athletic department stuff. But well, you may. No, no, I, I mean, I'm googling the logo. But uh, yeah, okay. I want to look at the logo while you're talking. All right, well, go here's ahead. The thing, yeah, the dog. It's tired. Its tongue is hanging out. This, that, and the other. So that was that was part A. Part B, and maybe even a bigger part, and maybe Google will say something about this too is it was determined, I don't know by whom, so don't shoot the messenger here, that the dog was actually a Samoyed, not a Husky. I'm looking at it world. now. I'm looking at it now. So that was the All right. issue. And this, this animal now, this more wolf-like figure, is supposed to be more fierce and menacing and this, that, and the other. So that's the it's a wolf. Process. That's the thought process. It's a wolf, dude. It's... I'm looking at the new logo. It's not a bad logo. It's clearly not a husky. Clearly, I'm looking at it. That's the, the old argument. one, and and the tongue is is in in the mouth here. Both tongues are exposed. Right, but in Just the old so one, know. it's kind of hanging out as if the dog is panting. Is how it was explained to me. All right, I guess I you know it's in the eye of the beholder, but the other yeah. one did look friendlier. This one looks fiercer, and I think that's by design, or I know that's by design. Yeah, it looks like the Hartford Wolfpack. That's what it looks like. It looks like the semi-pro hockey team. It looks like their logo. <laughs> That's what. Anyway, I don't know. I don't know if that was a good call. I, it looks okay. It looks like something somebody could have hired a graphic designer off of Fiverr to do. But we're, so, back, we're back talking about the twenty dollars logo again, like we were talking about last podcast. I think it's just a sign of the times, it. man. I mean, a lot of these logos, and everybody's going to start picking on our logo, but. <laughs> <laughs> These logos, I don't know. I don't know about that logo, man. I'm I'm good. I like the old one. I guess I'm old school. I was never a huge Collegian fan, but I still have a pair of basketball trunks with the old tired Samoan Husky with his tongue sticking out on them, and they're my favorite house shorts. So I'm sticking with the old one. So finally, in the sports world, before we move on to little video game action, uh, UFC was last night. UFC 247. John Jones uh, was fighting Reyes for the light heavyweight championship, and John Jones 
beating this guy for his record 15th title defense. John Jones kind of looks unstoppable at this point. Reyes was uh, 12-0 and going into this match, but uh, just couldn't really get a lot done last night against John Jones. I don't know who's going to beat John Jones. Uh, I don't know much about the light heavyweight division in the UFC, um, but he just keeps winning and winning and winning, whether you like him or not. Bad Bones Jones. <laughs> and I think he just beat George St. Pierre's record. I think St. Pierre had 14 title defenses, and now uh, uh, Jones picks it up with uh, 15. So I don't know. I didn't watch the UFC last night. Um, I, I rarely watch it because it's, uh, it's still on that old pay-per-view model of paying 60 bucks per event, which the WWE has kind of uh, put a big dent in with their $10 a month WWE network where you get all the pay-per-views. So UFC is still kind of on that old model which a lot of people still pay for them. But, um, uh, yeah, Jones wins last night. I think that was kind of expected anyway. He was the favorite going into the match. Uh, I don't think anyone's dethroning him. I don't hear of any um, grumblings of any light heavyweight at this point who can on the roster who can challenge him for the light heavyweight title. So that record's going to keep going up and up and up and up and up. Well, is there any chance he's ever going to consider moving up to the heavyweight division, or is that a non-starter? Not that I've heard of yet. Um, I think he could. He's got the frame for it. But if you're if you're winning 15 times in a row, do you really want to put on 10 pounds and go up and fight the likes of, uh, you know, <laughs> a, a Brock Lesnar type or a Cain Velasquez type or, or an Alistair Overeem? I don't know. I wouldn't. I would kind of stay just below. And I would just continue to win against the tall, goofy, lanky guys at light heavyweight. Because once you get into heavyweight, you can put on as much muscle as you want. Some of these guys up top are absolute animals. Um, I would stay there. I mean, he's too he's too big naturally to be a middleweight. So he's not going to go down. So I, if I'm the king of the castle, man, I'm not moving into another castle. I'm good. Okay. This is my t- Roy Jones tried it. I don't know if you remember when Roy Jones Jr. moved up to heavyweight and he won a championship against a tomato can when he moved up. Uh, it was like one of those uh, A, B, C, D, E, F, G heavyweight titles. Yeah. You know, one yeah. of those ones that a janitor made in because he was bored at, at some, you know, <laughs> some convenience store in Milwaukee after they were done filming movies. <laughs> Yeah, you Roy Jones moved up and yeah, you couldn't keep all those titles straight back then. There was when you had all those competing divisions, and it seemed like everything was a unification bout. Unify unification of what? And it was it was, it was kind of uh, kind of nuts. Don't even get me started on boxing and what happened to my favorite sport when I was a kid. Like box, you, you boxing got hit by one, a one-two punch. One, the promoters ruined it. That's the first thing. And secondly, the UFC came in and kind of finished it off. Okay. So boxing wasn't boxing was able to sustain a long period of staying relevant because they had some heavyweights in the nineties and early two thousands. Because if you don't have a good heavyweight division, uh, Americans especially are not going to care about boxing as much. Um, so they were able to survive for a while with the, promoters doing the shady things that they did um in terms of i mean the pay-per-views were like 70 80 and they 
they'd put a good, they'd put on a good main event of you know Tyson versus Lennox Lewis or something. But the eight matches below the main event were Tomato Can versus Tomato Can. They were absolute trash for like four hours until you got to your two minute main event, <laughs> an heavyweight fight. So boxing, but then the UFC just came in and. Boxing doesn't have as much American talent anymore as it used to because a lot of these guys who normally would have went to the gym and become boxers now go to these dojos and go to these other type of gyms where they learn MMA. So the talent pool has especially gone down as well. Uh, Boxing's still big south of the border, still big in uh, Eastern Europe, still, you know, but in terms of American Boxing's got a long comeback, man. And there's not a lot of characters that people... People used to remember and hate Floyd Mayweather back in the day. They used to love or hate Mike Tyson. They used to adore Evander Holyfield, Riddick Bowe, um, you know, James Buster Douglas when he knocked out Mike Tyson, uh, Michael Moore, George Foreman. George like there's Foreman. No, I mean, George Foreman, people loved him so much he was able to put together a, a crappy grill. And everybody well, that, that bought it. So right. that grill was it was all right. right. It was all right. It was all right. It, well, it, it shouldn't be the greatest selling grill of all time. So, <laughs> but he, there's no characters anymore. I mean, the Klitschko's were not relatable to an American audience. Vitaly and Vladimir, even though they were great. Yeah, nobody. Um, liked them. They were great, but nobody liked them. No, but if they were smart, they should have played the Ivan Drago part, and they really didn't. So. They really didn't go that route to be the uh, despised villain either. In either. Either you're the you're the baby face or you're the heel. If you want to sell tickets and pay-per-views, you need a compelling villain and you need a hero to root for, right? So sure. they really never did that. UFC kind of capitalized on all that. UFC was able to uh, inject a little bit of uh, professional wrestling style antics, just enough to make people hate, you know, uh, uh, Conor McGregor and love whoever the hero or hate Nate Diaz and love the guy he's fighting or whatever. And Brock Lesnar was able to transcend WWE and win the UFC heavyweight championship by knocking out Randy Couture. So the UFC was able to do some of those things. Boxing kind of fell off to the wayside. Uh, UFC was able to strike deals and get on regular TV for their UFC ultimate fighter show. Um, and boxing kind of meddled on, let's stay on HBO. There was always a paywall with boxing where a a giant general audience could never get through. Boxing was always separated by the guys who wanted to make it big were always on ESPN on Friday night or some type of afternoon event at the Madison Square Garden. So these were the guys who weren't quite there, weren't good enough. And then it immediately would go to HBO or Showtime where you'd have the championship fighter who looked like a million dollars and he would his tune-up fight would be on HBO. So so let's say Oscar De La Hoya was getting ready to fight uh, Felix Trinidad, like one of the great fights, right? So before he would fight Felix Trinidad on pay-per-view for $70, right. he would fight three months prior to that or four months prior to that, he would fight the tomato can on HBO. So you could see Oscar De La Hoya, but it was generally not a competitive fight because he would fight the handpicked fighter that he would kick his ass. And then you'd have to pay the 80 bucks to get past that second step to see a competitive fight against two great fighters. 
And that model of tomato cans on ESPN type of fighting, you know, or the guys who haven't made it yet, I should say. So you've got the the up and comers on the regular TV who nobody knew their names. Then you got the great fighter versus the crappy fighter on HBO or Showtime. Then you got the good fights on pay per view. It's not a sustainable model. Back when the when boxing was the you know biggest thing going, except for baseball in the United States, boxing was on ABC in the afternoon on Sunday's Wide World of Sports. So when Ali fights Frazier, that's not on pay per view. That's on live TV, like the Super Bowl. You know what I'm saying? That's yep. on broadcast TV to a giant audience. So everybody gets to know Joe Frazier. Everybody gets to know Muhammad Ali. Everybody gets to know George Foreman. Um, so they they feel like they know them. They feel like they're rooting for them or they hate them or whatever it is. Emotion's emotion, dude. Emotion sells tickets. I don't care if you love me or hate me. You're buying a ticket to it. Just ask, uh, what's his name? Brian Bosworth. You know, like, it doesn't matter. So, um, Bob Boxing, that, they switched that pay-per-view model. They switched that pay-TV model, and it took, what, two decades, maybe 10, 15 years total, for it to uh, die off. And now there's really no interest in it anymore. Well, we got, don't we have uh, Fury Wilder, too? Isn't that coming up? You do. Is yeah, that, yeah, that- yeah, it's coming up. Eh, yeah. Is that big? I don't know. I, I don't run in the boxing circles anymore. I was a exactly. You know, I was a Sugar Ray Leonard and uh, uh, Evander Holyfield. I, I remember going back to your model, and I was just out of college too. So it's probably only about nineteen ninety one, maybe nineteen ninety two, ninety one, maybe. Uh, Buster Douglas, Evander Holyfield, paying a hundred dollars for that fight. A hundred dollars thirty years ago for Buster Douglas, yeah. and Vander Holyfield. Now, obviously, it was at the height because Douglas had beaten Tyson. This was his next fight after Tyson. He had gotten fat. He was out of shape, and he stunk. And correct hundred dollars. So you paid you paid a hundred dollars in nineteen ninety one. So in adjusted 91. for inflation, adjusted for inflation, you paid for a twelve hundred dollar pay per view for one fight with a fat guy who couldn't. Who couldn't? He was a one-hit wonder, albeit a beautiful one-hit wonder. Mm-hmm. But he was a one-hit wonder who went on to fight, obviously one of the greatest of all time in Evander Holyfield. And you paid a hundred dollars for it in nineteen ninety-one, and people wonder why boxing is gone. Yeah, a hundred dollars thirty years ago. That that puts it that puts in that puts it in perspective. And I will make the argument. I will make the argument, and I bring it at me that a twelve-round or an old school case is 15 round, but we'll go 12 round because that's the current rules. A 12 round boxing match where two guys are going toe to toe, like an Arturo Gotti versus Mickey Ward type fight is better than your best UFC fight. Once a guy in the UFC goes down and God bless him, the rules are safer, believe it or not, even though it looks more brutal in the UFC. If a guy goes down, referee comes in, matches over dude right the drama that comes along with a classic boxing match is unparalleled in the sports world mano a mano one-on-one nobody's gonna help you if you get your butt knocked down and you get back up at eight and you wipe off your gloves there's a shot you can come back and win and 
The other guy's got to finish you off and you can get up essentially, which makes it so dangerous, but you can get up essentially as many times as you can get up. Right. So unless it's a TKO uh, style match, um, but TKO being three knockdown rule in effect, the match is over in one round. But there was never another sport that could replicate the drama when it hit perfectly of an actual good knockdown drag out boxing match. You know what I'm saying? I I agree. As much as I'd like to bring it at you and beat you over the head, I have to agree with you. I'm thinking of... uh, Buster Douglas and let's go back to Buster Douglas. Buster Douglas and Tyson, eleventh round. Yeah. And by the way, Buster goes down earlier in that fight. Yeah, he goes down in the eighth or the ninth, and the count. Seemed yeah, the count seemed, was a little rough. Seemed to be a little long, but if you listen to Buster Douglas, he makes a good point on the count. Um, he says, "Listen," he goes, "I'm listening to the count, so I'm able to get up, but I'm not getting up. You know, I'm taking as long as a uh, rest as I can." So I'm listening to the count. I know where the referee's at. The count wasn't long. He Maybe he started it a second late, but I heard it the whole time. I was going to be up in time because I was listening to the count. And maybe that's true. Maybe it's not. But the point at least is is viable. But, yeah, I, I think Tyson probably thought that fight was over when he knocked Buster Douglas down and believe it was the ninth, could have been the eighth. Yeah, he knocked him down earlier in the fight, and then Buster Douglas comes in, knocks Tyson out, I believe, in the 11th. And I remember the famous image of Tyson uh, crawling around on the mat trying to get his mouthpiece. Fumbling around for his mouthpiece, having no idea where the heck he was. Yeah, yeah, no, that was – but there's a, there's no other sport that can replicate that. There's no – one. I mean, football has drama, baseball has drama, but those are team sports. This is – you, it's the loneliest place in the world on the canvas, and someone's over you counting to 10. And, I mean, I guess you could argue the mound is the loneliest place in the world in baseball, but just just being knocked on your ass, referee over you counting, crowds going wild, get, you know, you got that s- slight uh, concussion, essentially, when you get knocked down, which is what makes boxing so dangerous. But uh, just in terms of pure excitement and and this generation will never know that particular type of excitement because boxing has been run into the ground. And this is coming from a guy, by the way, who is going to the Boxing Hall of Fame induction ceremony in June. So Bernard Hopkins and Sugar Shane Mosley, two of the old school fighters that I loved growing up are getting into the Hall of Fame this year, and I am heading up there to uh, upstate New York to go to this event. And I'm going to the um, induction ceremony with the, the banquet, with the dinner and the speeches, and I'm going to the cocktail hour. And, and unfortunately, I got to run in the 5K, so I better go for a walk today and put down this Twinkie. But they're having like a whole weekend of events, like a golf tournament, everything else. I'm not playing in the golf tournament. But this... The Boxing Hall of Fame, by the way, I don't know if you've ever seen it uh, or where it is, Muldog. It's, it's somewhere in it, East Nowhere, New York, right? It's it's in East Nowhere, New York. Potholed. It's got a potholed uh, parking lot. It looks like a little uh, little factory or giant gas station that might have went out of business twenty years ago. Uh, nobody goes to visit it outside of this one weekend, essentially. 
where they have all the famous fighters come in and uh, they have the induction ceremony. The promoters and everybody, it doesn't seem like they take care of it or donate to it to make it something special like the NBA uh, Hall of Fame in Springfield here close to us or the NFL Hall of Fame or the Music Hall of Fame or whatever Hall of Fame. Um, It's just boxing's kind of been thrown to the wayside, which is sad because it has such a storied and beautiful history and so many moments um, like when Sonny, uh, when Muhammad Ali knocked out Sonny Liston without actually punching him or, um, you know, uh, Oscar De La Hoya uh, beat up Sugar Shane Mosley for 12 rounds and Mosley wins the fight. So it also, you know what I'm saying? Like yep. it just, there's, or, or Hearns, I mean, Hearns Hagler, greatest three rounds you'll ever see of a match ever. So if you guys, if you guys are bored today, Google Hearns versus Hagler. It was the, the most insane three minutes of an opening round I've ever seen in my life. Uh, and then they fought a couple more rounds <clears throat> and UFC that match is over in 12 seconds. Sure. So anyway, that's our hot take on everything we just talked about. I'm not even sure what the hell we just talked about, but we went from Duke to boxing to UFC to now let's, let's just throw it out there real quick. You had mentioned something about Bobby Knight, Moldog. Uh, Bobby Knight being like grounded from Indiana for like 20 years. Something happened the other day. What was that? Oh, yesterday, Bobby Knight's official return to Indiana after not having stepped foot on the campus for 20 years. It was quite a uh, emotional night. Uh, unfortunately, he couldn't resurrect the Hoosiers. They did lose to uh, Purdue, and uh, they're not having the greatest season, but they kind of tried to wheel in Bobby Knight there to fire him up. It didn't necessarily happen. But the story is that after 20 years, after his unceremonious or ceremonious um, leaving the program there at the University of Indiana, he now came back for the for the first time in 20 years. So there's a lot. So there was there, there was forgiveness there. Sure. Oh, I, I, don't, parties I, don't, and- yeah, I don't think the fans ever disliked, you know, he was still incredibly popular. They They blamed everything on the the chancellor and the school president and this, that, and the other. So I think they always loved Bobby Knight. Now, you know, Bobby Knight's a stubborn guy and he was bitter for a long, long time. And I'm sure he was, you know, did not accept a couple olive branches that were extended, but for whatever reason, they were able to bury the hatchet and Bobby Knight was back on campus uh, yesterday, uh, last night, yesterday, last night, all time leading, you know, win total at 600 and some odd wins at Indiana uh, 11 Big Ten titles, three national championships. You know, he's Bobby Knight. Wow. That reminds me of uh, a couple of years ago, probably four or five years ago, there was, because uh, you never say never in the world of sports especially, um, the Ultimate Warrior, who was one of the biggest professional wrestlers of the 80s, had a giant falling out with Vince McMahon. And, uh, you know, some 20-odd years later, 25 years later, they made peace and uh, the ultimate warrior was inducted into the WWE hall of fame. And he gave, and it was amazing that triple H and Linda McMahon were able to convince Vince and ultimate warrior, by the way, his legal name was warrior warrior. So I'm, I'm not just calling him by his wrestling name. So he changed his name to warrior warrior, but he, they were able to, 
come together and make peace and forgiveness, which is awesome. And uh, he got into the Hall of Fame, which he rightly deserved, because uh, second to Hulk Hogan in the 80s, there was no one greater to a little kid than the Ultimate Warrior, who was larger than life and insane. And he gave his speech on Saturday night, and he made an appearance at WrestleMania that Sunday. And then he came out on Monday Night Raw, and he gave a wonderful speech to the crowd to say goodbye to them, because now he was going to go back to his, his ranch and his family. And he says in the speech... Uh, a, a warrior shall one day die, but his, a warrior's spirit will live forever. That was kind of his big, uh, his big line in his speech on Monday night. Tuesday morning, that morning, leaving the hotel, walking to the car with his wife and kids to head home from a wonderful weekend of forgiveness and Hall of Fame stuff. He has a heart attack in the parking lot, and he keels over and dies at the hotel in front of his wife and kids. So it was like the culmination of forgiveness and and, um, and redemption, and and then it was over. So you never know. <laughs> like, you know, I wish Bobby Knight a very long life. I am very happy though that they've been able to forgive each other, the school and and one of the greatest basketball coaches of all time. So I love stories of redemption and forgiveness. And whoever was right or wrong in that situation is irrelevant at this point. Uh, Bobby Knight being one of the greatest, Indiana being a great university and program, and for them to be able to bury the hatchet is uh, is awesome, awesome news. So. Yeah, no, that's good for college basketball. I mean, Bobby Knight is 79 years old now. Um, how long is are these grudges going to go on? And there's always in these situations, especially these high-profile ones, plenty of fault to go around. So time heals all wounds. Move on. Yeah, yeah, just like uh, tell that to Pete Rose. Right. Who's been waiting to get into the Hall of Fame, by the way. He just filed his initial appeal again with the MLB, citing the Houston Astros and steroid era of baseball as reasons why he he should be in the Hall of Fame. Actually got an endorsement by President Trump as well. Like, come on, guys. Enough's enough. Let him in. I don't know. I have feelings he should be in at this point. I don't. I believe him when he says he never bet against his own team. Um, so let's go get this over with Pete Rose, greatest hitter pretty much in the history of baseball. Um, obviously had personal issues. Who the hell doesn't? Um, I don't think he was ever a cheater per se. I don't think he ever cheated. I, I think it's different than a Houston situation. I think it's different than a jacking yourself up with a hormone situation. Um, I think it was just a man who was addicted to gambling. I think there was plenty of other games for him to bet on besides his own. And I think he should just be in the Hall of Fame and get this over with. I think that's the next story of forgiveness and redemption on both sides. Well, and and I used to think there was less than zero chance that Pete Rose was ever going to get in the Hall of Fame. I don't think that anymore. I actually do think there's some. Well, isn't stuff. Bud Seelig's not the commissioner anymore? Wasn't well, it Bud Seelig? No, was up. Who said not a or who said not a chance in hell ever? Well, Bart Giamatti is the one who who banned, banned him, him, but he also okay. had to deal with Faye Vincent. So Faye Vincent and Bart Giamatti are the ones kind of behind it. But then when Seelig came in, you know, they didn't exactly. They had meetings and this, that, and the other. But you know, Pete. 
to be fair to to be fair to yeah. Bud, Pete lied about it for yeah. a long time too. He never would tell the truth. Pete is his own worst enemy in some of these things, and I like I, I like Pete, and I think that there is some growing sentiment towards a Hall uh, induction for him. However, he goes up there. Pete goes up there every year, or at least the last I had known, he'd been going up there every year during Hall of Fame weekend, and he sets up outside a little card shop down the street from the Hall of Fame and, you know, signs his name 10 million times that weekend, sells memorabilia, blah, 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 just to be in the shadow of the Hall of Fame up there. And, of course, you know, it creates this kind of aura of, you know, he's right down the sidewalk from the Hall of Fame. And he, Why not? It's I, good marketing. I, I'm not saying I disagree. I'm just saying that Pete doesn't always uh, endear himself to the powers that be that, that may be able to uh, reverse Guys that. Guys got to eat. Guys got to eat. I think Pete. Yeah, probably, I mean, I think Pete's probably doing all right, but he might yeah. not. He might have gambled away all his stuff. Well, don't you have an interesting Pete Rose casino story? I do actually. I met Pete Rose. I met him back in uh, two thousand and six. I want to say at Caesar's Palace in Las Vegas. It was my. It might have been two thousand and yeah. It was either two thousand six or two thousand seven. I was there for a convention for work. And at the time, uh, was not a big uh, baseball history buff. However, I was a diehard WWF junkie, WWE junkie. And uh, I was over in the sports book area of Caesars Palace. And uh, I sat down. I was, you know, my first time ever in a, in a sports book type casino where they had an actual sports book. This is before sports was kind of legalized gambling starting to spread out throughout the country. And I look over, I see this gentleman with a notepad and little reading glasses on. And he's looking up at the TV and he's looking back down and he's writing. And I kind of look at him and I'm, you know, I'm sitting probably a few feet from him. And I go, I think that's Pete Rose. So I go back over to my brothers who were with me at the time at this, uh, this um, convention. And I go, guys, and they're huge baseball fans, by the way. And I go, uh, that's Pete Rose. They're like, where? So I go, he's right over there. I go, you guys know who Pete Rose is? And they're kind of laughing at me like, who the hell doesn't know who Pete Rose is? And I go, yeah, he's in the WWF Hall of Fame, guys. He was at WrestleMania 14. Kane kicked his ass. Like, <laughs> that's who he is. Because <laughs> I didn't realize he was the greatest hitter of all time. I just thought he was at WrestleMania 14, 15, and I think it was 16 or 17 where he had come out and talked smack to the crowd, and then Kane came out, Undertaker's brother, and beat him up a few times. So I was like, yeah, he's in the celebrity wing of the WWE Hall of Fame. And I went back over and said hi to him. They're laughing at me, my brothers, and I didn't really want to bother him. I just said, hey, man, it's uh, great to meet you. I loved you at WrestleMania. And he said, thanks. You know, he's very cordial. Come to find out, which I guess this is the perfect job for Pete Rose, he worked for Caesar's palace at the time and he was studying the baseball teams, uh, to give Caesar's the lines that they should be putting on the games for betting. <laughs> so, Hey, talk about finding your perfect niche. Ah, so he was setting lines. That is a, that is a good gig, but talk, he about was setting lines. Yeah. <laughs> talk, talk about the ultimate, uh, generational clash, right? We talk about, you know, back in the day, old school, new school, blah, blah, blah. You know Pete Rose from WrestleMania 14. Now that, that's how that, I knew him, man. That just is like I, I never, 
Price. I never, I never knew like Joe Morgan was a great baseball player. I thought he was just the voice of baseball on ESPN's baseball game on PlayStation. Oh, and Johnny Bench uh, so, sells Blue Emu, right? Is that the only, yeah. only spot you know him from? <laughs> I thought Johnny Bench sold hemorrhoid cream. That's all I knew. Oh, sitting priceless. too much. Priceless. Yeah. <laughs> so, all right, guys, to finish up real quick, uh, if you're listening to this on Sunday, we'll just talk real briefly about what's coming up tonight on the show. Live show on Facebook at Ply Rock Gamer. We're going to, Ply's going to be bringing the pain tonight. We're halfway through Max Payne 3. If you have not uh, seen, talk about generational gap. Uh, this game is a classic. It's about eight or nine years old, but it's fantastic. It's testosterone driven, action packed, dude. It's totally awesome. I'm halfway through it. We're going to be finishing that tonight live on the show at nine o'clock Eastern Standard Time. Uh, I'm still putting together the schedule for this week in terms of uh, the video game show. Come over and check us out. Make sure you like the Facebook page, Ply and the Moldog, P-L-Y-A-N-D-T-H-E-M-U-L-L-D-A-W-G, Ply and the Moldog. I know I spelled it wrong in the intro, so don't anybody bust my balls. I will fix it. I spelled it Ply and the Dog. I will fix it. I promise. But that's for the next firmware upgrade for this podcast. So um, we're going to be doing these podcasts two to three times a week. We're probably going to check one out, uh, check one in with you guys Tuesday or Wednesday uh, coming up to cover the rest of the XFL and all the craziness uh, with Mookie. We still haven't heard an update on Mookie, I believe. Is that correct, Muldog? Still still up in the air. Okay, so we'll check in with you guys on that. And uh, on the next podcast, we're going to be bringing some uh, video game fastballs at this point and some movie stuff uh, so I can get Muldog on his heels with some of this crap, too. All right, guys, we love you. Thank you so much for joining us. All the growth on the Facebook page has been amazing. We're up to 113 followers already in the first week. If you love what you're hearing, make sure you share it. We're on Spotify, iTunes, Google Play. I believe we're also on SoundCloud, iHeartRadio, Radio.com, et cetera, wherever podcasts go. We'd really appreciate a subscription. If you want to throw in a review, those help too. We love five-star reviews, wink, wink. But uh, throw those in there as well. It really helps us out. Share the Facebook page as we get this thing off the ground so we can bring you guys more and more content uh, throughout the coming uh, weeks and hopefully, God bless, even years. Muldog, have a wonderful Sunday. Everyone else, have a wonderful Sunday. We will talk to you guys soon. Ply and the Muldog is out. (laughs) 